Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Chats with Jason and I'm so excited about today's show. We'll deep dive into why employee experience has such a big impact on the customer experience and ultimately profitability. We'll explore some of the concepts that are in the book House of the Customer, a blueprint for one-to-one customer-first employee-driven business transformation. Its author, Greg Kilstrom, joins me today. He is also the principal at GK5A and the host of the Agile Brand Podcast. So without further ado, let's jump into today's episode. Well, Greg, it is so great to have you on the show today, sharing uh, your insights as a customer experience and business professional. Congratulations on your latest book, House of the Customer, a blueprint for one-to-one customer-first employee-driven business transformation. Greg, can you share with the audience a little bit about your new book? Yeah, absolutely. And, and first, thanks so much for having me today. Looking forward to this. Um, so yeah, my my latest book is called House of the Customer, as you mentioned. What it is, is, you know, I've spent the past several years working with um, a, a few different types of companies and, and all mostly in the enterprise space. But um, I found that everyone is bought into the premise that, you know, customer experience is really important. And personalization builds onto the existing customer experience, but not a lot of organizations, even very large ones, really know how to put all of the pieces together that really create an omni-channel personalized customer experience. There's lots of reasons for this, and, and we can certainly talk about some of them, but you know, everything from data disconnects to process disconnects to you know, dif- different departments or product lines or business units not communicating well with one another and And so what I wanted to do with the book was just put together a a blueprint of here are all of the different pieces that go together to create this house of the customer, I call, which is really this this customer centric organization that is really looking at everything in terms of how do we serve customers as as well as possible. And I use the metaphor of the house. Um, you know, with the roof and the foundation and the walls and the columns and, and all of that, it's just a, as an easy way, easy metaphor to um, not only explain everything, but also to for people to understand, okay, you know, there may be a few of these elements that we're actually doing really well. Most organizations are doing some of them, if not most of them, really well, but there are other areas that really need some improvement and, and some focus and so kind of teases apart all those different aspects so people can focus on what really matters yeah i can remember at business school talking about the strategy house and customer was just a pillar of that i love what you've done here where you've made the entire house around building those foundations for a sustainable customer experience uh, before we deep uh, dig deeper into the book, and there's some great insights that I'm hoping you'll be able to share with us, I was wondering if you could define the relationship in your terms between the customer experience and the employee experience. Yeah, I think this is something that is so critical because uh, a brand that focuses solely on the customer and doesn't take into account what the experience of, of its own employees are is like they're going to have some issues in, if not in the immediate term, they're going to have some issues in the long term. Because what we see is with high employee turnover, with 
lack of uh, you know empowered employees that feel like they can be creative and and be innovative you're going to see even if a big investment is made in in creating a good customer experience it's not going to be sustained it's it's going to it may be good for a year or it may be good for months or something like that but there's going to be turnover because there's a terrible employee experience and in addition to that um, the customers themselves, when they interact, you know, they're not just, there's a lot of digital interactions these days, but they're not only interacting with a website or, or with social media. In so many industries, they're, the customers are interacting with frontline employees or at least with human employees. And so when they see people that are disengaged and Un, either uninformed or um, you know not not really interested in being informed in, in what they do, that reflects on the the customer experience as well, and and that affects customer loyalty and and lifetime value as well. Mm. <laughs> so you mentioned companies spending a lot of money sometimes, a lot of money to try and deliver a program that you know ultimately doesn't succeed. I, I have a viewpoint here that you actually don't need to spend a lot of money to start improving the experience. You need to get absolutely crystal clear, first and foremost, around what the experience needs to look like, feel like, be, and then help people in the organization understand that. But what's your take? Do you do you think everything needs to start with a big budget or, or can people get started in a simpler way? Yeah, I mean, I'm a huge proponent of just agile principles and, and some, of the, some of the processes and methodologies that come from agile. And um, so therefore, yes, start small, iterate. You, you don't know everything. You can't know everything to start. And so therefore, you shouldn't create some big initiative. I mean, a lot of times, these the, something like three quarters of digital transformations fail because they scope things so big and they over-engineer and they overthink things without getting real data. Same with customer experience initiatives, which are often tied up in those those digital transformations, but um, it's so important that you start small and uh, just get as much learning as you can and then spread out. It also makes sense. I mean, again, I work with a lot of enterprise customers and they simply can't, in order to roll something out company-wide, it takes so long and so many stakeholders and so many silos broken down and all that. It would take months, if not years, to roll something out completely enterprise-wide, it just makes so much more sense to start start where you can, learn, build, be scientific about it, of course, and, you know, build in tests that are measurable and, and you know, hypotheses that are, you know, falsifiable and all that, all that good stuff. But, you know, start small and then iterate from there. And then other teams can take what you've done and what you've learned and apply it to their teams as well. And then you start connecting these dots together. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love it. Uh, it's also much better to fail after just a, a couple of days of trying something as opposed to spending years building a perfect solution that better fail. Uh, right. So uh, I'm, abs- I'm absolutely with you there on that agile approach to improving the experiences and helping companies break through. I, you know, enterprise co- companies are not uh, nimble unlike some of our small businesses out there. And so they do need that iterative approach that you talk about. So really appreciate that. Now, in the in the book, there's three parts. The second part is all about the house of the customer. And you talk about five pillars. Do you mind sharing those five pillars with the audience? 
Yeah, sure. So over over everything, the the roof, so to speak, over everything is the the processes and systems that um, they protect us when when we don't necessarily know what to do. And um, you know, I'm I work a lot on the operational side of of these things as well. So you know, the, those things are there to to guide us. And, and when we don't have the answers, the foundation is the employee is the customer centric um, culture of the organization. That's where the employee experience comes into play. And I, I call it an agile customer centric culture because it does need to be nimble and um, and be able to adapt and employees need to be empowered to experiment and and fail. And and certainly, you know, that's uh, that's that's a big component of successful companies is leaders being OK with their team members failing and, and learning from those failures. And, and there really isn't a, such a thing as failure if you do learn, in, in my opinion. Um, and then we've got the the three pillars, or uh, you know, in that that hold up our um, our our house in the middle, which are really all about the the customer. And so that's listening, understanding, and serving the customer. So you know, we collect data and understand our customers. Um, we then serve those customers, personalized experiences and content offers, experience all of those kinds of things, and then we listen to. Well, what are they doing and and create this this feedback loop and then on either side really the the walls of the house so to speak are um the business goals uh, on the one side and then the business outcomes the, those really frame because at the end of the day while the customer needs to be in the center of everything a business a for-profit business does need to achieve its goals and it has stakeholders that it's that it's beholden to so um you know really taking all of these things into account means that we're not dropping the ball on anything. You know, we're taking care of the business. The business is profitable and, and successful. The customers are happy and satisfied and, and they're served with what they want and employees are taken care of as well. So it's the, kind of that win, win, win. Yeah, I appreciate the call out there about delivering on the commercial side of the business. I think it's really easy for experienced professionals who sometimes get lost in the work and forget about the reality, the hard reality that whether you're a not-for-profit or a for-profit business, you still need that income, that that surplus, that revenue, the profit to continue to drive the business forward and, of course, to achieve the things that you want to achieve. So I absolutely love that you wrap the house of customer up with you know, at that foundation, the customer-centric culture, and then at the top with the processes and systems to really balance out that it does take the entire pie and not just a singular focus to deliver that breakthrough that that we all de all desire in our businesses. Now, I know a lot of people struggle with culture in their organisations. In fact, I would say ninety percent of the companies that I get to do some work with, especially the mid-sized enterprises where they've been started by their founder and they've grown up and perhaps outgrown that startup that startup culture. And then they just get a little bit lost and, and they find culture really hard because they can't touch it, but they can feel it. Do you have uh, some tips and hints for their audience around how to build that customer-centric culture that you talk about? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that, that you touched on is just the how culture evolves over time. And, and there's a framework, and I didn't come up with a framework, but I, I rely on it a lot um, because I think it, it gives a, an interesting view into things. And it's called the competing values 
framework. And, and the, the one of the premises of it is that there is no one single culture that any company should have. And even, you know, one comparing one company to another, but also a company to itself, it really depends on the point in time that, that you're at. And so just very briefly, um, it's a, you, you can look at it in, in terms of a quadrant where, you know, at, at the very top, there's the, the community and the collaboration and there's the innovation. And then at the bottom, there's the processes and the systems, kind of the, the hierarchy of things, as well as the sales and market driven um, aspect of culture. And so to to use the, the analogy of the startup, you know, when you're a startup, you're small team, probably very, you know, a, a, a tribe of people that's very passionate and, and committed, you're also very innovative. So you're at the very top of that, that quadrant. As time goes on, you kind of drop down and become, you got to make some sales. And so therefore you need to be market focused and, and sell some products um, or else you're going to, the lights are going to go off. Um, and you also need to have a lot more process and you need to be a lot more process oriented. And so it's almost like gravity takes hold as, as time goes on. And that's okay that it does that, but you need to be aware that there needs to be some elements of all four of those, those, those areas, no matter whether you're a startup or whether you're a you know, couple decades into your, um, your experience as, a, as an organization. And so a lot of those companies that are sort of at that, that mid stage, they're a little bit of each, but maybe in the wrong combination. And they're not, they're not, again, there's no one right answer. And, and the, the, this is all, um, you know, the premise is that it, there isn't one size fits all, but that it takes all of these in different combinations over time. And so being nimble, being agile, um, whether that's a, you know, big A agile using Scrum and, and safe and, and things like that, or just nimble agile, you know, um, that's, that's that's required because leaders and 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 execs at companies need to understand. Okay, you know what? We're doing great. We're we're cohesive as a team, but man, we got to sell some more stuff, or else you know, again, we're not going to meet our our targets. And so we need to make this shift and not lose not lose our culture, but just make a shift in one direction or the other. So long way of of saying, you know, it's it's a constantly evolving kind of mix of of, of things. So there's many ways that you can measure customer experience or the customer's transactions, whether it be customer satisfaction or touchpoint survey or NPS or CSAT or customer efforts score. Like, it's probably do a whole show for hours just on the list, let alone defining them. How do you measure culture, though? How do you know that, the, that you're achieving the culture you're trying to? Yeah, I mean, I think you can measure it in, in similar ways to um, to customer, you know, customer engagement, customer experience. And and what I would say is um, with both, um, it, there are, you know, there's leading indicators, there's lagging indicators. I mean, the, the lagging indicators like the survey results and everything, they're very beneficial, particularly as relative measures over time. They're less beneficial as a real time measure of things simply because they're they're after the fact and, and lagging, it requires both to, to measure that. And so, you know, if we're talking about employee experience, we need to measure some type of employee, whether it's employee NPS or, or employee satisfaction or things, but also we need to see, we need to have more real-time quantitative measures of what's actually going on in the business, how, you know, how engaged, how 
productive, uh, all of those types of things, um, you know, are, are our employees. And when possible, there are ways to measure motivation even and, and other types of things. And, and we can get creative on that. And, and there's tools to measure like team cohesion and, and things. You know, it, it, it can really vary depending on the industry and, and the, the makeup of the teams. But I think it's nice to have one metric that is just sort of the go-to of like, okay, our, our NPS is up or down, but that rarely tells the full story. So I, I always like to have at least a few things to, to look at, look at them over time, see the, the dips and the spikes. And um, again, not, not just have a snapshot because it's, it's hard to see that, but you know, it, it takes, a, it takes several things um, really going, going on over time to, to really get a full picture. Well, when you're looking at the financial health of an organization, you don't just look at the profit, you look at, you know, some key indicators within those numbers, right? So not surprising that it's no different for employee or customer experience for that matter. Now, I have a couple of questions that I'd love to get to. But before we do so, how about you share with the audience, Greg, details about your podcast? Oh, sure, sure. Yeah. So I have a podcast called The Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom. Uh, we are in year five, so um, almost almost in our sixth year here, 400 episodes. So I talk with a, a combination of, of business, so enterprise leaders, as well as marketing technology and customer experience platform um, leaders and, um, and innovators, and really talk about, um, try to get practical with it and, and talk about what does it take to create a great customer experience? What does it take to do measurement well? AI is certainly, you know, something that's that's in the conversation a lot these days. But really, um, not just AI as 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 hype, but all, but how do we actually do better work, reach customers better, and, and create greater customer lifetime value? So you mentioned that uh, favorite acronym of everyone these days, AI. How can we use AI to improve the customer and employee experience? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, there, there are some things where uh, AI gets a lot of um, oxygen these days, uh, you know, in, in conversations. And I think there, of, of the things that have been hyped in, in years of late, I would say it's actually one that um, warrants at least some of that hype. Um, you know, I certainly, um, there, there are some things that, that maybe have a few years yet to, um, to really get get practical but they're you know they're one of the great things about ai is that it augments what humans are able to do you know i think in in terms of thinking about ai replacing jobs yes that will happen and it has happened in some to some degree but the exciting part for me is how it's going to help us do our jobs better and help humans focus on what humans do better, which is being creative, tying abstract concepts together to create strategies versus AI and machines. They process a lot of data very well and get insights out of data that a human could never do and you know them, themselves probably ever, if, if not um, taking a lot of time to do. And so, you know, AI can help by looking through vast amounts of data and starting to see trends and okay our customers keep asking for this or they keep saying that or um helping us create more personalized content and generating that you know it takes a lot of time and effort to create multiple variations of anything once you start getting to the you know the one-to-one -one personalization we're not most organizations if not 
all organizations are not quite there, like one-to-one omni-channel um, personalizing everything, but generative AI and, and other AI tools are able to help us personalize things a lot e- more easily. And we know from seeing statistics that when something is more relevant and more personalized to someone, they're going to respond to it better and 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 likely stay more loyal and, and things like that. And so AI can help in, in all those ways. I think there's many other ways where, you know, predictive analytics is, is another area of AI, which is really exciting to me. Um, figuring out what is the next best action or offer or experience for a customer and really anticipating, not just reacting to and, and personalizing something based on what happened, but looking at behavior and saying, okay, you know what, Greg did this, this, and this, he must be in the market for that. And let's, we we would love to sell someone this one product, but they're really taking the actions that make it seem like they would benefit from this other product. So let's do that. You know, we make money either way, as long as we're selling both products, let's push someone to the thing that's going to benefit them the most. And sure enough, they're going to, they're going to reward us when we do that. Yeah. I think there's some real uh, interesting things being done right now with uh, AI in terms of that predictability helping organizations meet the customer in the conversation at the right point, as opposed to what so many organizations do and just spray a message to heaps of people, hoping that it hits enough people at the right time. And the other part that that you touched on was just the analytics piece. Quite often organizations will put out a survey, they'll get the results back and they go, oh, I should have asked this question or I should have done this. And of course, with uh, the use of AI, can't necessarily get it perfect, but you can get a deeper insight into some of those what ifs than you possibly could do um, just with a, with a team and and not the right questions being asked. Right. So uh, certainly interesting times in the industry, and uh, uh, that uh, AI tool is there to help. Now, I'm wondering, do you have a memory of the best customer experience that you ever had and what made it the best? Wow. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> you know, I, without, um, without a specific example, I guess, you know, the, the, the general, <laughs> the general thing is, you know, I'm very loyal to a few companies that, um, that mm-hmm. I use, you know, whether it's, I, I travel a lot. And so I'm, I'm very loyal to, you know, to hotel a hotel company, airline, you know, stuff like that. And, mm-hmm. you know, where the reason I'm loyal is because I consistently get what I need and and, and they're thinking mm-hmm. one step ahead of me when they don't. And I've switched brands before because they, I kept being like, listen, I keep asking for the same thing. And um, it's like, I have to say it the first time, every time, you know, when I, when I go into a hotel, mm-hmm. I like to stay on a, floor that's high off the high off the ground or whatever. Like, why do I have to keep telling you that versus Mm -hmm. when I walk in, I don't even ask for that anymore. I just, I know it's going to be delivered. So, you know, it's that, it's, it's that anticipating what I want and need and, and delivering that. So, you know, that's, I, I think that there's a few examples where that consistently happens and when it doesn't happen, I'll give, I'll give a brand one or two tries maybe, and then I'll, you know, then I'll, I'll, I'll move on and, and find somebody else because 
the technology is there. I know because I work on that side of things, you know, I know it's available. I know I'm, I know my preferences are in a database somewhere. Just why can't you connect the dots? So, you know, and I, I've moved banks for that reason too. You know, the classic, the classic example is, you know, you call up the bank and you have to give your account number 10 times. Um, you know, I, I would say I'm a, like to name names, I guess, you know, I'm a big Amex customer because, um, I, I've even been an early adopter of some of their products, which were not quite 100% ready for prime time, but I was an early adopter of them. And they respond to what I, you know, I, I have an experience and I say, hey, like, it would be really nice if you did X, Y, Z. And you know what, 30, 60 days later, that feature is in the product. Like, that's really amazing mm -hmm. to have that kind of um, that kind of feedback and listening to your customers. Again, not everything that I say gets implemented, of course, but it's great to know that someone is actually listening, not just some chat bot somewhere and, and it goes into mm -hmm. the ether, right? Yeah, yeah, I think that is important. So often companies ask for user feedback, customer feedback, and they don't necessarily close the loop on what happens with that feedback. And I'm not suggesting you have to go back and say one-on-one -on -one to each person, you said X and we did Y, but how can you go back to those that you did get feedback from and say, this is the result of your collective feedback, which may include your, your specific uh, recommendation or it may not, but at least it closes that loop and creates that deeper relationship. And what I heard from you there was not your airline's loyalty program or your hotel uh, brand of choice loyalty program. You talked about consistency, a trusted experience. You knew you trusted that they're going to get it right um, more more than not. And when they don't get it right, it's such a such an unusual thing that you you can move on from it. Um, well, and, and they, and I, they think made that, up for it when they didn't as well. <laughs> you know, and that's that the other thing. It's like you know, it took a a different bank that I won't name. You know, it took me giving them <laughs> a one. You know, on the net promoter score for them to call me with an issue, you know, like that's, that's the only time I've actually gotten a, a call from that bank regarding a transaction. And I've, I've given them feedback. And yet, you know, here again, I, I moved to a different company and I chat with them and, you know, I get a, I get almost immediate response to my, my request for a feature. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it's night and day. Yeah, being listened to and valued as a customer. Um, so, of course, your book, uh, your new book, uh, House of the Customer, is available everywhere great books are sold. In the show notes, there will be a link to the Amazon uh, listing uh, of, of the book. Before we do wrap up today, Greg, what's one thing our audience members could start doing virtually straight away to improve the experiences that they deliver? Yeah, I mean, I think the... Um what I'd recommend is just start looking at, um, you know, looking at the the feedback that your customers are giving and, you know, make, make one priority um, to start with. And, you know, don't try to boil the ocean. Don't try to do everything. Pick one priority that's going to make a meaningful impact on, on your customers, create a test around that and, and just get it, just get it done. You know, don't, don't overthink it, but make it something that's, small enough to get done quickly, but meaningful enough to have an impact and to help your, your team learn and just start by doing that. And, and when you, when you do that and you do that kind of thing over and over again, you're going to have 
a, a culture of experimentation and learning and, you know, it, it will help so much in the long run. I love that. Just start working on one meaningful piece of, of work that will make a difference to your customers or your employees. Um, and of course, experiment. Don't, don't have to, you don't have to have all the answers at the beginning, but you do need to listen and act on that feedback. Greg, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show today. Um, we will share all of your uh, social media contact details in the show notes for our listeners that want to follow your great work. But before we leave, any closing remarks? Um, no, just, uh, you know, thanks so much for having me here. Really, really enjoyed talking about this. And, and yeah, it's, you know, it, while I wrote a book about the entire scope of, of creating great experiences, it, it really, it can start small and it can start where you are and, and with your team and, 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 you know, one, one thing at a time. So, you know, really, really look forward to um, getting feedback. I, I'd love to get feedback from anybody who reads the book and, um, always, I always try to learn from <laughs> learn from feedback as well. So thanks, thanks again. Ah, oh, fantastic! Thanks, Greg, and thanks to everyone who's listened or shared this episode.